Hello, this is Sounds from the Shadows, a podcast about folklore and fairy tales. I am Emily Collins, and I am joined by, as you can probably hear in the background, uh, the snoring dogs. Bunbury is by my feet, and she is snoring very loudly for such a small dog. But that might have something to do with her being full of the leftovers of Christmas ham and turkey. I hope you're doing very well. I hope you've survived the festive celebrations, uh, whatever they may be for you. I myself, during the season of the sniffles, managed to pick up uh, not only a very annoying head cold, but one of my annual chest infections. But I think I'm over that, and I think my voice has returned to something approaching normal. And so, of course, I'm going to tell you a story. Maybe even two. And one might even be Christmas-themed. Once upon a time, long, long ago, there lived a poor widow and her children. Every year, when December came and the winds turned cold, as they looked about the town, the children would see the rich families all getting ready for Christmas. They would see them bringing in six-foot, seven-foot, eight-foot-tall trees into their house, decorating them with sparkly, shining balls, decking their halls with wreaths of holly and ivy. And every year, they would wish that they could have some Christmas ornaments just like that. Every year, when December came and the wind turned cold, she would worry about buying enough firewood, buying enough food to keep her children alive through the winter. There was no money to spare for ornaments. One year, though, as her oldest daughter was walking through the woods, a pinecone fell down and landed right in front of her. The girl thought this might be a sign, so she took the pinecone home and buried it in the garden. From that pinecone there grew a tree, and all through the year the children tended the tree, and it grew into a beautiful spruce. When December came, a mighty tree stood in their garden, and the children were so excited at the prospect of having a real Christmas tree. But that year, the winter came particularly hard, the cruel winds blew, the water in the well turned to ice, and the poor widow could just about manage to get enough firewood to keep her family warm. There was nothing left to spare for even the smallest Christmas ornament to decorate the tree. That's all right, said the children. We have such a beautiful tree, it doesn't need Christmas decorations or ornaments or baubles or anything like that. And they smiled with their mouths, but their eyes were still sad. Living in the tree, though, was a small spider. The spider looked out through the branches and the needles and saw the children with their smiling mouths but their sad eyes. She thought to herself, I wish there was something I could do. The children grew this tree, and it has given me and all of my many children a home to live in. But then she had an idea. The spider clapped four of her little hands at the end of her little legs and called her little children to her. The spider children scuttled out from the dark corners where they had been hiding, from under the cracks in doorways, from dusty locked rooms and garden sheds, from high and from low, They all came on their eight little legs to their mother's call. By the time the sun had set on Christmas Eve, the spider had gathered all of her many hundreds of children to the tree. Now, children, said the spider, we must spin. We must spin, spin, spin all night and cover the tree. And so the spiders got to work. They climbed up to the tippy top of the tree and they began to spin. And they spun round and round and round and round. And by the time they had finished, they had covered the entire tree in gossamer-thin threads of spider silk. 
Drops of dew settled on the threads like glistening gems. When the work was finished, the largest of the spiders went to the house and began to tap with their little legs. One of the children inside the house heard the noise and went to see what on earth could be going on outside. As soon as the door was opened, the spiders scuttled away. They hid themselves in dark corners and watched. The child went out and they saw the tree covered in strands of spider silk, strung with beads of dewdrops. It was the most beautiful thing they had ever seen. They called out to their mother and their siblings, Come outside! Come outside and see how beautiful our tree is! The rest of the children and the widow all came outside, still in their pyjamas. They saw the tree and saw how beautiful it was. Oh, it is the most beautiful Christmas tree I have ever seen! said the widow. And just as she spoke, the sun began to rise. And as the light of the sun shone down, it hit the dew and the spider silk. And the spider silk shone like silver, and the dewdrops glittered like diamonds. And by some magic, they were transformed. No longer was the tree decked in spider silk and dewdrops. Instead, it was covered in strands of pure silver, decked with the purest diamonds. From that day forth, the widow and her children were no longer poor. And every year, they decorated the tree in their garden with the most beautiful ornaments for all to see. In memory and thanks of the spider and her children, they hung on their tree fine strands of metal foil and placed a beautiful glass spider on its top. And I hope you enjoyed that story. Uh, Bunbury's snoring was joined by that of Squires and Mimi somewhere in the middle. And out just outside the window, some of the birds have started to sing. I don't know if the microphone is picking them up, but um, I, we have a lot of birds in our garden. There are three bird feeders uh, just near the kitchen window. And often when I'm having breakfast or having my coffee, I can watch the little birds flitting around. We have a robin in the garden. And as some of you may know, robins, they're very territorial and they'll sometimes try to chase away other birds. But there are a pair of their little brown birds. I'm not sure what they are, if they're wrens, maybe. But they have teamed up and one of them will distract the robin while the other one gets to go in and feed. And I, I just enjoy watching them. That was a loud snore bun. The robin has just made an appearance on the tree and is looking at me. Probably wants to remind me that one of the bird feeders is nearly empty and could do with being filled up. Uh, sorry, a little bit distracted there. A bird tangent. But yes, I hope you enjoyed that story of the Christmas spider. It's a story that comes from Eastern Europe and from what I read seems to be particularly prevalent in the west of the Ukraine. I only learnt this story reasonably recently. I found it on the Wicked Makers YouTube page. Um, they do sort of crafts and DIY projects and I was looking up um, tutorials on Halloween decorations but they had a tutorial on how to make a Christmas spider ornament and they mentioned this story and I thought oh that's interesting and it particularly appealed to me because I'm very fond of spiders I think spider webs look beautiful and I like to bring just a little bit of Halloween to Christmas I do own a Christmas jumper but it is black and white and among the sort of traditional snowflake patterns running across it it has little ghosts and pumpkins as well the Christmas spider story is a story that gives the origin of tinsel, which some of you may have seen on trees quite recently. But it also falls in line with the thing you see in 
quite a lot of folklore, at least in Europe, about spiders being good luck. I know here in Ireland, uh, if you find a spider on your clothes, or sometimes in your hair, which I have found in my hair, particularly when it was very long, it's meant to be a sign that um, of good luck and wealth, that you're, you're going to come into a bit of money. Not a huge amount, more like uh, going to find a, a fiver you'd forgotten about in your pocket. And I think there is a type of spider that's called a money spider. It's a very, very little spider, and it's completely harmless to humans. I quite like them. Um, for a long time, in one of my wing mirrors in my car, there was a spider living behind the mirror. I'd only see it if I was sort of stopped at the traffic lights. It would come out from behind the mirror and just sort of scuttle up and then duck back inside. I don't know if it came out when the car was parked, but I like to think of my little, had a little spider travelling companion. On the subject of spiders, there is another spider story, one with absolutely no Christmas connections that I would like to tell you, and it's one some of you may already be familiar with. It's the story of Arachne. Long, long ago, in the country of Lydia, there lived a woman called Arachne. Arachne's father was a famous maker of dyes, in particular a beautiful, rich, purple dye. And from a young age, she had been introduced to the business of making cloth. She had a particular talent for weaving, and would sit by her loom all day long, moving her shuttle back and forth so fast the eye couldn't follow it. She could weave linen and wool and silk, but she was most renowned for the weaving of her tapestries, creating beautiful, mesmerising images in cloth. People would come from far and wide just to see Arachne's weaving. One day, someone happened to say to her, Why, Arachne, you are so good at weaving, you could almost be as good as the goddess Athena. Almost, said Arachne. I'd say by these calluses on my finger that I earn each day that I'm far better than any goddess who sits on her backside on a cloud. You should not mock the gods, said an old woman in the crowd, and you should not compare yourself to them. You should prostrate yourself at the temple and apologise, and maybe then Athena will show you mercy. I will do no such thing, replied Arachne. And if Athena thinks she is better at weaving, well then she can come down and challenge me herself. So be it. The old woman threw back the shawl on her head and stood up straight. She was a head taller than the tallest man. She was decked in armour and her grey eyes glowed. The crowd of people prostrated themselves before her for this was truly the goddess Athena. But Arachne, though she was terrified, though her knees were knocking and her face turned pale, stood before the goddess. So, mortal, you would challenge me, Athena, goddess of war, wisdom and craft. You would challenge me to a contest of weaving. Well then let it be so. Take up your loom and your shuttle, and I shall take up mine. Take out your finest threads, call for your father's finest dyes, and we shall meet again tomorrow at this time and see whose work shall be the finer. And with that, the goddess was gone. Arachne's heart was pounding in her throat. How was she to know it was the goddess there in disguise? She wished she could take back her words, swallow them up, but it was too late they were spoken, and Athena's challenge laid down. Oh, what was she to do? Arachne knew her work was good. Not just good, the best. 
What if she did indeed weave her masterpiece on this day, and indeed it was better than the goddess Athena's? How angry would the goddess be to be shown up by a mortal? Maybe, maybe she should half-ass it, turn in something subpar, substandard, something to make sure that the goddess won. But I don't know, would, would that be even more of an insult to the goddess, to, as, as if she wasn't taking her challenge seriously? Oh, she was damned if she did, she was damned if she didn't. Well, if she was to be damned for her work, then she would make certain that her peace would be remembered for all time. And so, she took up her loom, she picked out her finest threads, called to her father to dye more, to bring her the jewelled colours that would sing from the loom, to bring her threads of gold and threads of silver. And she got to work. All day and all night, the shuttle zoomed back and forth. Arachne's fingers were a blur as she worked. She worked and worked, worked without stop, worked without sleep, worked without drinking or eating. She barely even blinked. She worked and worked. And at last, she was finished. She covered her creation and took it to the place where she was to meet the goddess. Grey-eyed Athena was already there, waiting, her loom covered by her side. Braver than I thought, mortal girl, to accept my challenge and show your face. Now, gaze upon the work of a god. Athena threw back the covering and showed her work on her loom. The goddess had woven the heavens, the earth and the underworld. All three planes balanced in perfect harmony. She showed the gods on high on Olympus, the creation of man and beast, and the gods dispensing wisdom and justice from up on high. The crowd marvelled. The figures were so lifelike you almost expected them to move. Every stitch perfect and in its place, not a thread loose. Truly the work of a master craftswoman. And then Arachne showed her work. She too had shown a similar subject, the gods and men. But her theme was different. Rather than showing the gods to be wise and noble, she showed them as lusty, jealous, spiteful, even foolish. Aphrodite seeking vengeance on any that might be compared to her beauty. Zeus transforming himself into all sorts of animals and pestering men and women. Wrathful Hera, Hades acting like an incel, while Mars cheated with his own brother's wife. Poseidon having a hissy fit after losing a contest and turning the fresh water around Athens to salt. All the gods and their flaws were depicted, including the great Athena herself. When Athena saw the work Arachne had produced, her face turned red, then white with anger. How dare a mortal be so disrespectful to the gods? And what made it worse? Was Arachne's craft, her skill, her weaving was so good. Every stitch was perfectly in place, not a thread loose. They weaved together so seamlessly that the figures did indeed seem to move. The colours were alive, the light and shade of it. It was perfection. It was indeed better than Athena's. In rage, Athena grabbed the loom, breaking it and ripping the tapestry to shreds. The people in the crowd ran, scattering. No one wanted to get in the way of a wrathful goddess. Arachne herself, knowing her work would provoke Athena, 
had run as soon as it was unveiled. She did not know what fate was in store for her, what terrible plans Athena would come up with, and she was not willing to face them. Better death than the anger of the goddess. After the destruction of the loom and the tapestry, Athena managed to get a hold of her anger. She looked about for the weaver, for the mortal who had beaten her for Arachne, but she was gone. The goddess went to seek her out, going to Arachne's workshop, and she found her there, hanging by her neck from the ceiling, but not yet quite dead. Foolish mortal, you would seek to challenge a god and then try to escape. I shall punish you for your insolence in mocking me and mine. But I must concede, your skill at weaving is superior to my own. And so your fate shall be both punishment and reward. You shall live, but not in that shape. And you shall continue to weave, but few shall praise your work. And with that, Athena struck Arachne with her shuttle, and the woman's body began to change. It began to shrink, smaller and smaller. Her hair began to fall from her head, as did her ears and her nose. Her eyes seemed to multiply. Her fingers, though, grew longer and joined up to her shrinking body. She hung there still from a thread, back and forth, back and forth. Now a creature with the body the size and colour of an ink blot, the head the size of the head of the pin, and eight long spindly legs. Arachne climbed up the thread that she was hanging from and disappeared into the rafters of the ceiling. And from that day to this, Arachne the spider weaves her web. But few can stop to admire their beauty. And that is the Greek myth of Arachne and how we get spiders. I've always both liked and disliked that story. I like it because, well, I like spiders. And in general, I quite like Athena. But in this, she's, well, she's very vindictive and cruel, in my opinion. And it's not the only story where she's vindictive and cruel. There's the origin of Medusa, where well, it's, it's downright victim blaming. But leaving that aside for another episode. In this story, Athena is the one who lays down the challenge. And she's a sore loser about it. I do like, though, that it elevates the importance of weaving. And weaving, which is you know, traditionally seen as a feminine craft, you know, the distaff and weaving and spinning and making of cloth seen as female traits, like the distaff being the symbol of female power. But it's also something that Athena, goddess of war, goddess of wisdom, views as being extremely important and takes quite personally. There's also the metaphorical connection between weaving and spinning and storytelling. You know, you, uh, you weave a tale, you spin a story, tell a yarn. I sometimes think when I'm coming up with stories, it's a bit like uh, a spider weaving a web. It's sort of I'm going round and round in circles in my head and then eventually something comes of it. And sometimes it's something lovely, and sometimes it's something that I'm going to sweep away with the rest of the cobwebs. Actually, I tend not to sweep up cobwebs. I, I quite like them. I think they look very nice. Also, they catch flies, and I find flies very annoying. 
but before I start rambling round and round and completely lose the thread, I think I will say goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. In the episode description, you will find uh, a link to the YouTube video on how to make a Christmas spider, if you feel so inclined. Though we're nearly in January, so maybe it could be a New Year's spider. I just want to bring Halloween into everything. Also links to the social medias and uh, all the rest of it. If you'd like to get in contact, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your opinions. I'd also love to hear if you have any story suggestions. I'm always looking for new stories. Uh, The sleeping dogs also send their best, snoriest regards. Stay safe and goodbye.